A new report out uh, dealing with combating career criminals or repeat offenders uh, has been issued, written by former Vancouver Deputy Police Chief Doug Lepard and Simon Fraser criminologist and health researcher Dr. Amanda Butler, uh, talking about improved collaboration between partners, community services, law enforcement, and all levels of government. The The province, rather, wants to improve public confidence in the justice system, which has been eroded. Lately, uh, in the in the wake of some spectacular cases involving repeat offenders who were released back into the community and did amazing harm. Here to talk more about this report is Wade Deesman. Dr. Deesman is a criminology professor, along with being the associate dean of the Faculty of Arts at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Dr. Deesman, Wade, good morning and welcome back. Good morning and good to be with you again. Well, it's good to talk to you, Wade. We haven't had a conversation on the radio since we worked together on another network many years ago. What did you make of this report, by the way, basically saying repeat offenders need to be managed, not detained? That's sort of their bottom line. Does that jibe with public sentiment these days, Wade? I'm not sure that it jibes with public sentiment, but it certainly jibes with the the thought leaders in the areas of healthcare, in the areas of the criminal justice system, and in the areas of government more generally. I think there's a recognition that um, the kind of um, conventional criminal justice approach um, is not working and that the system is overstrained at this point. And so I would say it's a very courageous report in that it takes on the problem squarely. It marshals the evidence about what works, which is what, what is most important in all of this, what is working Um, in Canada and what has been working internationally. Um, And then it sets out like a very, what I would say is a very extensive set of recommendations that encompasses not just criminal justice, um, but the healthcare system, uh, mental health, substance abuse issues, you know, it captures the whole gamut. Wait, one of the things that a lot of people here in Vancouver particularly have been become more anxious about is the increasing number of random attacks, stranger attacks. They're called people just assaulted for nothing other than walking down a city street. And it turns out that the assailant in many times is a person who should be perhaps under uh, some kind of professional mental health care. But it's, it's it's the rotating, the revolving door of the Justice Department, Wade, that has so many people yeah. frustrated. You get in, you, you get noticed, you get your, your, uh, your uh, infraction is duly noted and then you're released and you're back out on the street within 24 hours free to go right back at it and that's driving people nuts that's right and this report takes squarely squarely takes aim at that exact issue by proposing a number of solutions one of the most important in my mind is that they propose that we adopt the uk model which is a diversion model which says when that initial allegation comes forward and even before the case has been heard in the courts there should be a diversion to what they call a low care supervision center and what that basically allows is for the person um, who's accused to get access to the kinds of resources that may have been associated with the perpetration of the crime in the first place so with substance abuse issues to get treatment in that respect if the person is struggling with um, issues of financing, that kind of thing, to get help in that way. Um, and there are a couple of others uh, associated with that um, diversion approach that I think would answer that fundamental worry 
about the rotating door, basically. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because it does sort of lean Wade in the general direction of uh, some kind of professional uh, association, some kind of Riverdale, Riverview uh, kind of thing. We we closed uh, those uh, uh, asylums, as they were known in the back in the day, and, and basically all of the residents were basically ejected out onto the city streets, many of whom are still there. Uh, there aren't any facilities that replicate that in environment in any way significantly here in BC uh, and yet this report says by gosh we really need to go back to that model and I think a lot of public support could be found pretty quickly don't you? Right I think there is some public support for that and there's a genuine quandary I think quandary in the public about this question of what to do in these cases I think that the problem with the Riverdale model and other other models like that is that they ended up being really long-term holding facilities right and that the quality of life and quality of care deteriorated so quite significantly. So there was a movement away from that uh, to what was called the normalization model and then the integration model. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is that that model requires a tremendous amount of resources. And the system simply, especially during the COVID period, isn't capable of you know, meeting those, those strains. Um, it's, it's, it's already strained beyond belief. Right. And if anything, COVID just exacerbated the, the shortcomings of the system, didn't it? Uh, well, I would say so, yeah. The, the evidence in the report says that about 50%, 57%, I think it was, of calls for service uh, went unresponded to in relation to these issues. And, and sort of the knee-jerk reaction to a lot of this uh, in recent times, in the past couple of years, has been from the extreme of, well, defund the police and give all the money to mental health experts, which is highly impractical, uh, to, uh, to the rebuilding of a Riverview kind of uh, institution. And there's some new construction actually on those grounds out in Coquitlam. You can see it. There, there is a new facility there, nowhere near the size of what used to be there, though. But there is a public appetite for this do you see more of that coming well the the model that they're setting out here is not really that model right actually. they are they're following um I, I wouldn't say it's a defund the police model but what they're calling a civilian-led response team mental health crisis response team so i think that that model will allow for integrated i think they call them crisis centers here they wouldn't be long-term holding facilities and they wouldn't be kind of sequestered away from the general public. But I think that they would provide what they call low secure care. And that, I think, would be a more flexible model. Interesting. One of the groups that would probably be very supportive of this report, I would think, Dr. Deesman, would be the cops. After all, uh, they are the ones on the front lines confronted by these career criminals or repeat offenders on a daily basis, and they know them by name in many, many cases. So why not be in support of having someone at your side, not a police officer, but a professional able to deal with that person on a whole other level? Yes, I think that that's true. I think that the police will generally be receptive to this proposition, this proposal of joint response teams, essentially, is what it is. Right. Um, because at this point, they're, all, they're, they're saying um, quite continuously that they're overmaxed in terms of their capacity to deal with this, and this is not within their training remit. 
And so they, again, would be very welcoming of this. Now, what about on the other side of the table? The government, of course, is going to be confronted by this report. They commissioned it for crying out loud. They are, they say, from a political perspective, Wade, they definitely want more public confidence in the justice system. So uh, what sort of appetite is there at the provincial level to implement what this report is calling for? Well, that's a very good question. I think that initially the minister seems to have been quite receptive um, and positive about the recommendations. Um, Of course, you know, it's ultimately a question of resources, of finding the resources and and of political will. Uh, As you're indicating, there's a fair amount of public pressure at this point on the government, given these high-profile instances of unprovoked violence. Um, so I think that that will be, a, you know, a key lever in terms of these kinds of things. Um, but I think these these changes in the system invariably take a great deal of time and a great deal of intentionality to actually be successful. And so typically in that case, um, what is required is one person who champions um, the initiative champ, uh, and is, is designated as the kind of lead in that kind of thing. And I think that that's the question, whether the government will put somebody at the head of a of a, of, a, of a movement to move in this direction. Interesting. And you talk about the, the political realities associated with commissioning said report and so on. And, of course, the opposition under Mr. Falcon is talking about the, the NDP's catch and release approach. It's politically convenient and expedient to do so. And it taps in, again, Wade, to a fairly strong degree of public sentiment these days. Mm-hmm. The, the public sentiment being that there's a that we can't have much confidence in the Un- criminal justice system. Unsafe city streets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it's fair to say that that's, I, I think that's the essence of the issue, is that public safety and the lack of capacity has become the, go- the going concern. And it's likely to be a fairly dominant election issue next time around, don't you suspect? Well, that's a trickier question. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, um, you know, there's often a struggle of kind of, you know, it's often a struggle between different priorities and different perceptions of needs and wants. So in this case, you know, it vies with other priorities, priorities for the reform of the healthcare system, mm-hmm. educational priorities, all of those kinds of things. So it's hard to say whether this will be one of the, the deciding kind of considerations in that context. You know, I think of the um, the Harper government's um, gambit around getting tough on crime in one of the election cycles. And, and I think they bet the whole House on the idea that the Canadian population was going to get behind that particular sentiment. Mm-hmm. And they were found to be dead wrong. Aha. So there's a historic yeah. precedent for uh, tread softly. Right, right. That there is, there, that there is an expectation, I think, uh, uh, in the public's mind anyway, of a balance between crime control and due process. And if that balance isn't isn't carefully managed, I think that the system gets out of control. Indeed. And that's why so many British Columbians these days, especially here in Metro Vancouver, are feeling just a little off their game because they feel that things have sort of slipped away from people who should be in charge. Wade Deesman, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for this. Good talking with you. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.